Well, yeah, how about that? That was super cool. Good morning, welcome to Trace Church. How is everybody? How are we doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Everybody glad to be here? I'm glad to be here, so thankful that you are here. There's only two words that I can really use to describe what happened last week, and it's this, blown away. We were blown away about how, from how many people came to celebrate with us. We had over 400 people join us last week for our grand opening celebration. And uh, yeah, we can apply that too because that's amazing. It was incredible. Many of those people were you and uh, we're, we were so excited. Uh, what God is already doing in the midst of us and in through this place is, is crazy. And I do have pastors tell me sometimes and I know where they're coming from, but they say, Aaron, don't get too focused on numbers. And I know where they're coming from because we don't ever want to be uh, identified by how many people come here and we won't but here's why we do celebrate numbers and I do not want you to miss this we celebrate numbers because every one of those numbers has a name and every one of those names has a story and every one of those stories matters to God and if it matters to God it should matter to us and so once again we're not going to be identified by our by, by the amount of people that come here. But we do focus on numbers because those numbers represent you, each and every one of you. If I were to celebrate some of the big things for me last week, it, it was conversations with you. Many of you came up to me and said, I feel like I've actually found a place where I can belong. That is a huge, huge blessing for not only me to hear, but for our team to hear, because that's what we wanted to do, create a safe place. And many of you talked about how it's like, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to go invite my friends to come. And so if you're here this morning on the other end of someone's invitation, I want to let you know you were invited because they love you and they know that there's a God who loves you. And now they know that there's a place called Trace Church that loves you. And so if you're here on the other end of an invitation, we are so glad you're here. There are a couple things that you should know about our culture here at Trace. We want to create a space for you here where you can, you can belong here even before, <clears throat> excuse me, before you believe. If you need to come in here and you need to wrestle with God over some things, if you need to just have a space to heal from some of the brokenness in your life, if you need a place to come and voice your questions and even doubts about if God even exists, we want to create a safe place here for you to do that. And we also know that this place is not for everyone, like the person who sent me an email this week. I got an email this week, and it was a very vague email. It was somebody asking about what we believe about prayer and what we believe in general. I mean, it was very vague. And so I responded to the person and said, um, hey, I'm not sure exactly what you're looking for, but I would encourage you to look at our beliefs page on our website. And I sent him the link and said, feel free to check that website out and, the, and that particular part of our website. Look and see what we believe. And then after you read that, let me know if you have any questions, because I would love to answer any specific questions that you may have. And here was his response to me. The page was looked at before emailing you don't get the question. And because you don't get the question, we know what the spiritual DNA would be within your church if we were to visit. So we won't be. Some Christians are jack <coughs> rabbits, aren't they? <laughs> they hop around all over. What do you think I was gonna say, guys? Come on, I mean, I'm a pastor. This place is not for everybody. It's not. And that's okay. It really is. It's okay. But let me talk about our DNA for a second. 
Our DNA is built on a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to put aside this idea that any of us are spiritual superstars because the only spiritual superstar that we know is Jesus. And we are in pursuit of his truth, but we screw up at it all the time. And that's why we're so thankful for his grace. He picks up the broken pieces of our life, makes a beautiful mosaic, and then uses it to bless other people. If that's not the DNA that you're looking for, then keep on moving. I'm not mad, I'm not mad. I'm just passionate about what we're trying to create here. And be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of Christians who make it hard for other people to be introduced to Jesus. That never should happen, should it? And so we want to create a safe place here. Here, here are some stories that I, I'm actually thankful to share. Some of the things that poured in from last week. Uh, a few of these were on Facebook. One was a Facebook post and a gentleman said, I fi finally found a place where everyone is welcomed. A place that has as many problems as I have. I think he was talking about Corey. Um, <laughs> I am now, he, he ended by saying, I am now a trace. Somebody else said, you won't believe it, but this church is for real. A church who wants to love everybody. I love that. And then this last one was kind of special to me because it came from left field. It's a, a guy that I went to high school with uh, back in Paris, Kentucky, a little town in Kentucky. I played football with him. I probably haven't talked to this young man and well, he's not young anymore, he's as old as me, but um, <laughs> haven't talked to him in 10 to 15 years. And this is what he said. He said, old friend, I was scrolling through Facebook this morning and all of a sudden your sermon started playing. I didn't even hit the button or anything, but I did sit and watch it. Now I haven't been in church since middle school. And for the first time in almost 30 years, I felt God telling me I can be better that I need to be better. And most importantly, I want to be better. I made out my list, and if you weren't here last week, last week we talked about bringing our list of brokenness to the table because none of us have this figured out. He said, I made out my list, put it in my truck, and it will be in my Bible when I go home for lunch. I wanna be a trace in Paris, this little town I grew up in. Thank you for sharing online, and God bless. Loved it. And so if you'll do me a favor, everybody that's in this room, I am blown away how the message of this church is already reaching people that probably will never step foot in, in these doors, in this room. And so I want to look for those that are watching online today, wherever you may be, thanks for joining us. And can we invite them into this conversation with us this morning? Well, last week we kicked off this series that is called Start, and we talked about how um, when we put our faith in Jesus, we literally become a trace of God's love because God is love. And when we put our faith in him, he comes to live inside of us through his spirit. Therefore, you are a trace. You are a trace of God's love. And we talked about how we, would, we were never supposed to keep that love to ourselves. But as we carry that love with us, we're actually supposed to be leaving it behind with others. And we also talked about how our own brokenness, each of our brokenness, it doesn't disqualify us. It doesn't disqualify us, but rather allows God to use us in our own personal past, our own personal stories, including our brokenness. And he uses that to create unique traces of his love that we can leave all around this city as he turns our pain into purpose. Well, today we're going to talk about another component of START, 
something that's very important for our personal lives, something that's also very important for this church. And when we talk about this concept of start, I'm sure many of us are thinking of things or potentially thinking of things where it's like, I know I need to start some things in my life. And interesting enough, when I looked online to see what are the most popular things out there that people want to start, here's the top three. I want to start losing weight, right? I want to start spending less money. That's almost a stop, but it's a start here. Stop or start spending less money. And I want to start getting organized. And although we would all agree these are probably good things, many of us would agree, hey, these are some things that I would like to start doing. What we're going to talk about today is monumental when it comes to the things that we need to start doing as individuals and as a church. And so I want to remind us of our mission before we get started. The mission here is to leave traces of God's love everywhere we go. That's why we exist. That's our mission here at Trace. And I've traveled around this nation, literally, talking to people about our, about our mission, whether I was fundraising or talking with other churches and just the opportunities I get to go visit other churches. And when everybody hears this, they get excited. And they get excited because they know it's simple, but it's going to be very effective if, if we live it out. Which actually leads me to my next question. If this is so simple and we know it's going to be effective, why is it not already a reality in most of our lives? Why can't we say now that I'm actually doing this? And there's a very clear answer and this is really what we're going to kind of camp on this morning. We don't already do this because we don't see people anymore, do we? I mean, we might see them. You might actually physically see them, but we don't see people anymore. We're so caught up in our own schedules. We're so caught up in our rhythms and routines. We're so caught up in posting something online. We're so caught up in capturing moments on our cell phones that we actually don't even see what's going on around us, specifically people. And we need to talk about that because we've learned here at Trace that the only way we're gonna do this is if we first see people. And so our why statement here is this, kind of different than a mission and vision. Why do we need to have the mission that we have? Because we need to help people see people again. Jesus saw people. We need to see people too. If we're gonna leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go, this is where it begins. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Maybe you have an iPad, maybe you have a phone, you can pull up a Bible app, whatever that looks like for you. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to spend time in this particular chapter on a story that Jesus tells. And if you're new to church completely and you're like, I don't, I'm not even sure where that is. There's, th there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke is the third of the gospels. And we're, again, we want to create one of those places where you don't have to feel awkward. If it's like, I don't actually know where that's at. Feel free to turn to your neighbor and say, Hey, could you, help me find Luke chapter 10. Again, we're no super, super uh, spiritual superstars around here. And so we want you to feel comfortable to ask those kind of questions. Now, as you're finding your way there, I want to give you a little bit of a background to this story. You see, the story that we're going to spend a lot of time in today is actually called a parable. And along with other rabbis during the time of Jesus, this was a specific art of storytelling that would highlight or emphasize a very important point. 
oftentimes a point that was being overlooked by those that would be listening to the story. The parable was designed to leave the listener with something that they could use in their everyday life, almost like giving them a basket or a tool chest so that they could take it with them and use in their everyday life. And I would encourage you, even if you're here today and you have questions and doubts about whether or not the Bible is real or true, I would encourage you to go read through the Gospels and just listen to how Jesus tells story, tell, tell stories that are both full of truth and grace, full of love, and you would be hard-pressed to find any issues with some of the things that, well, most of the things that Jesus teaches. Now, for those of you that like to take notes, uh, you're probably going to like this. Scholars have found that some of the parables that Jesus used were not original to himself. Meaning other, other rabbis would have told those parables before Jesus ever came on scene, but something that Jesus does is very interesting. Even though he would retell a parable that was used before, he would change a really important part of the story to often get a message through to religious people. Some of us in this room would fall in that category. We've grown up in church our whole life, We've heard a lot of Bible verses and Bible stories and memorized scripture and all these different things, but I found that the more I spend time with Jesus, the more he's trying to change my story. He's trying to get a point through that I've been missing because I often wear busyness as a badge. I get caught up in this idea that, man, it's good to be busy, right? What I talked about. It's good to always have things going on. I feel like I'm productive and don't miss this. A message that the enemy and our culture is trying to get through to us is you should wear business as a badge. You should. Because if you can multitask and you can do all these different things, that's a good thing. But in the process of us feeling good about ourselves because we get really busy, we miss people. We don't see people anymore. So here is what we're gonna do. I'm going to paraphrase very quickly this parable for you. For those that maybe have never heard it, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you have heard it. And then we're going to go back and digest it together. And before we do that, I want to I set the stage of how we approach biblical text. Because it's very important that we don't do this wrong. And there's a statement that I never want you to forget. When it comes to your own personal Bible study, wanting to learn more about Jesus and about God, and it's this. A verse can never mean what it never meant. So when we read the Bible, what we read in that particular passage, whatever the author intended for that verse to mean, that is the only meaning it can have. We can't add to that. And so that brings up these next two words. These are kind of big spiritual words, big words that are used in Bible colleges and stuff. So I'm not so much worried about you remembering exegesis and eisegesis. I just want you to remember the principle, and this is so important. Exegesis is to discover the true meaning of a text. What does that actually mean? What did the author intend for it to mean? Because there's no other meaning that it can have. Eisegesis is when we add our meaning to the text. And Christians do this all the time. I've talked to so many people in my tenure of ministry who have been on the other end of someone doing this and they did it to use the Bible to harm people, to make them feel guilty, to make them feel full of shame. We're not going to do that here. We're going to be good stewards of God's word. And so when we approach it, we want to make sure that we do it right.
Another thing that we're going to do as we look at this particular parable today is we're going to use two different types of context. One is called historical context, which is what would the, what would the listeners in that particular setting have understood when Jesus is telling the story? And then contemporary context, which is what does that mean for us today? How do we take what we're about to read and apply it to our life? And guys, what we are going to apply is monumental for the type of church that we want to be, <clears throat> excuse me, that we want to be. And so let me quickly paraphrase for those of you that have never heard this parable, and then we're going to go through and we're going to digest it together. There is a guy who's walking on a specific path called the Jericho Road, and as he's walking on the path, some thieves and robbers come and beat the daylight out of him to the point to where he's half dead laying on the side of the road. Three people come his way, but only one stops. And the person who stops when Jesus is telling the story is someone who's very unlikely to be the person who would have stopped. And so that's in general what this is about. But now we're going to go through this together and we're going to digest this parable together. So if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to pull your notes out, uh, pull your phone out, whatever you use. And we're going to allow God to teach us today something that is incredibly important as we move forward as a church. Verse 25. On occasion, an expert in the law, this would have been a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus. Now what he was an expert in was in the law of Moses. And so this guy knew the Ten Commandments front and back. He knew other aspects of the law. And so he was a lawyer. He was an expert in the law. And he's not asking this question to Jesus to uh, really look for an answer. He's asking Jesus this question to test him and also hopefully bring the attention back to himself. So he said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he was wanting to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Very common question that would have been argued and discussed among the time of Jesus. And so who is my neighbor? And I want to be clear about this. This expert in the law is not really looking for Jesus to give him an answer other than what he wants to hear. You see, what this expert in the law is actually wanting Jesus to do is to say, your neighbor is your relative. Your neighbor is your friend. Because then the expert in the law could say, I'm good, I'm already doing that. I'm already taking care of my friends and my neighbors or my relatives. And he would have justified himself. Here's the contemporary context for us today. Church, I want to be so careful so careful that we don't get caught up in doing our Christian charity. And what I mean by that is, man, as long as Christmas time, I'm going to take care of a kid. I'm going to buy a present so a kid has a present at Christmas time. And if I see a homeless person every now and then, I'll, I'll, get, I'll give some food or I'll, I'll maybe give them you know, a couple bucks or whatever. And we feel like we've done our Christian charity and therefore we feel justified. Like I, I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do. A great example would be the shoes that you see up here. Now, what we've done is incredible, and I, want you, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, because look at this. We're going to bless the socks off some feet, literally, pun intended. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get all these shoes and just say, hey, here you go. Here you go. Now we feel good about ourselves, because look what we did. We did our Christian charity. We don't need to do anything else. 
And so the person that's been our liaison for Hope and Home who are going to receive these shoes and put them on the right feet, I've asked them, hey, can we come down and visit your organization? Can you tell us about what you do? Can we potentially meet some kids? Can we hear some stories? Can we find out ways that we can get more involved to bless the socks off some kids' feet? Because I don't, as a church, want to say, hey, look what we did. Now we feel good about ourselves. We can move on. That's what this guy's doing. He's wanting to justify himself. He's wanting to say, hey, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me that. Tell me that. Give me the answers I want to hear so I can move on and not feel guilty about my faith and about what I'm supposed to be doing. The story has to be so much bigger. It has to be. Here's where Jesus begins his story, his parable. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Here's the picture of that road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And when his listeners heard this, the people that were in the audience, the historical context, when Jesus was telling this story, this would not have come by surprise to them. And here's why. This road was notorious for thieves and robbers and even murderers. And so when they heard, yeah, there was a guy walking down the road, they got beat half to death, left on the side of the road, they'd been like, yep. This road even had a reputation and was known as the way of blood. And so this path was a path that if you chose to go down it, it was likely you could be robbed, potentially even murdered. At this point in the story, the listeners don't have any problem with what Jesus is saying. So he continues. A priest, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Historical context. When a priest were to encounter a person that was half dead or dying, if he were to have gotten close to that man, he would have been considered unclean. And now the priest and the Levite both worked in the temple. And in order for them to work in the temple, they had to go through this real tedious spiritual cleansing process. And if they came around a dying man, they would have then been considered unclean and it would have wrecked the rest of their day because then they would have had to have gone back through the cleansing rituals, causing them to spend a lot of time and even money. And so when the listeners heard this, when Jesus told this story, they would have understood, and it's not that these men weren't compassionate, they just would have understood. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, these guys probably didn't have time to mess with someone dying because then they would have had to have gone through all this spiritual cleansing again. And I get it. Yeah, they, they passed him by. Here's another thing that's, and again, the Levite and the priest were both considered the spiritual elite. The Levite was a servant, oftentimes for the priest. And so it would have been common for the Levite to actually be following at a distance as the priest is walking ahead. So remember that path we saw earlier. Imagine the Levite be walking, um, I don't know, a few hundred yards behind the priest. And it's possible that the Levite was looking and watching and he saw the priest pass up the person. And so the Levite said, if the priest is passing him up, I'll pass him up. Guys, two areas of growth for us here. In order to see people, again, we have to be willing to live interruptible lives. Even though it may cause inconvenience for us, we have to be willing to live interruptible lives. And if we're only taking our cues from Jesus, it doesn't matter what others are doing, even the spiritual elite. 
few years ago, Emily and I were going in the subway and both of us very, very hungry. And we're ordering our subway sandwiches and I'm excited because I'm hungry and I love subway. And as we're going through the line, the girl behind the counter that's putting on our delicious vegetables has cuts all up and down her arms. And we both had compassion on her and I wish I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that I allowed my day to be interrupted and took the time to have a conversation with this young lady, but I didn't, I didn't, because I was hungry. Nothing was gonna come in between me and my roasted chicken sandwich, you know what I'm saying? You guys been there? You know, sometimes, I don't know if you get like this, but I'm really hungry. I get kind of like angry and hungry. We call it hangry in my house. And I always think of Mike Tyson like biting the ear of Evander Holyfield. That's kind of how I feel if somebody comes in between me and my meal when I'm really, really hungry. And so I got my food and I went and sat down. But, G, but I'm sorry, Emily wasn't taking her cues from me that day. Thank goodness. From the spiritually elite. Now, I don't consider myself a spiritually elite, but I'm a pastor, right? Somebody that should be setting a better example. And so Emily came and she put her sandwich down and went back up and what was she waited till there were nobody, no, no one else in line, looked at her and she just wanted her to know, I see you, I see you. Had a very short conversation with her and then handed her an envelope of something that we were carrying with us at the time that we felt would be a blessing in her life. She saw her. Guys, many times throughout our day, we're going to encounter people that are dying inside. Maybe not physically dying on the side of the road like where we're at in this particular story, but they're physically, or I'm sorry, they're spiritually, emotionally, relationally. They're dying inside. Will we stop? Will we live interruptible lives? Will we see the people that God is putting in front of us? Let's pick up in verse 33. Oh. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now guys, as soon as the word Samaritan came out of the mouth of Jesus, everything changed. Everything did. The story changed. This is where Jesus would have likely changed the story. The demeanor of the listeners changed, and you would have likely heard a sigh come over the crowd. You see, when Jesus used this parable, it was a parable likely the other religious leaders in the audience would have heard before. And so when he gets to this point, but a Samaritan, they were thinking he was going to say, but a Pharisee, but a religious leader, but a rabbi. But when Jesus used the word Samaritan, they were like, whoa, 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 what just happened? And you can imagine a big lump developed in their throat because Samaritans, historical context, Samaritans at this point in time were seen as dogs, half-breeds, people that could be overlooked, people that didn't have any, didn't add any value to the community, kind of like Green Bay Packer fans. <laughs> Sorry, just lost. We just lost some people in our church. Um, <laughs> but they would have been shocked. And the way that Jesus is using this is to get their attention because they're overlooking people. They're not seeing certain people in their community. People that they don't feel like have any value. Now, although we wouldn't say those things sometimes, the way that we live in our busy schedules, it's, the way we, it's what we do. I'm curious, here's some contemporary context for us. 
Could Jesus put your name there? But Aaron, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You guys will learn that I do my best to be honest with you and transparent with you. The answer to that question would be sometimes. Sometimes. Depends on how busy I am. I wish it was always. I hate to admit this, but oftentimes I'm oblivious to what is going on around me because I do stay busy. I'm a busy person, and at times I wear it as a badge. My daughters have started to open my eyes to this. I've got three daughters. One's just really small right now. I don't, three months, four months old, I can't remember. I should She's just, she's in that stage where it's like, yeah, three to 10 months, whatever that is. Um, but a couple years ago, my daughter, who's now seven, when she was around four or five, she'd be talking to me. She's a talker. And so she'd be talking to me, and at some point in the conversation, my answers would simply get to, uh-huh, uh-huh. And finally, she picked up that at, at that point in time, dad was tuned out. Dad was no longer listening. And so when I would say, uh-huh, she would say, dad, stop saying, uh-huh. That means you're not listening to me anymore. And she was right. What's funny is a few months ago, my two-year-old daughter, Avery, was talking to me. And I got to that point where she's talking and I just started to say, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she said, dad, stop saying, uh-huh. I am Queen Elsa. And when I talk, you listen. I'm not joking. She said... <laughs> She makes us refer to her as Queen Elsa all the time. She, this girl thinks she is. She's, she's a queen, all right. She's a drama queen. But, um, <laughs> but, but here's what they're teaching me. If I will look at them, and maybe this is relevant for you and your spouse too. If I look at them when they're talking to me, I'll listen to them. If I'll look at them, if I'll see them, I'll listen to them. Do you know there's a lot of people in our life that we don't see because we're not willing to listen to them? Let's pick up in verse 34. He went to him, this is the Samaritan, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra, any extra expense that you may have. Not only did the Samaritan stop, but he allowed the rest of his day and potentially the rest of his week to be interrupted because the need in front of him was more important than the necessity to keep his schedule. Jesus then looks back at the religious leader who asked the question to begin with, the guy hoping that this was going to be pointed back to him, that he was going to be justified. Jesus looks back at him and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one, that's interesting because he didn't even want to say the word Samaritan. So he just said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, now go and do likewise. What happens when we, individually and this church, when we start to live interruptible lives, what will happen if we'll actually just start seeing people again? I heard a man tell a story once and he was in a coffee shop and he had had enough of the heartache in this life and the pain was overwhelming for him and he was ready to take his own life. And so he was in this coffee shop contemplating the type of plan he was gonna execute to, to remove his life from this world. And, 
Not too much later, uh, right before he was getting ready to get up, he said, before he was going to leave to go execute his plan, a man walked through the door of the coffee shop, locked eyes with him, and smiled and said, how are you doing? He didn't know this man. And he, the, the gentleman that was wanting to take his life later said, it was at that moment that I felt hope. He later connected with this guy, found out he was a believer, and this person actually helped him begin the healing process to a place of health, mental health and emotional health and even spiritual health. Why did this man all of a sudden experience hope? Because somebody saw him. Do you know that when we see people, like really see them, we can give hope? They understand at that point, if you'll actually see them, maybe I'm not overlooked. Maybe I'm not forgotten. Maybe that's what this gentleman felt. And yeah, they know, hey, I know I'm just another number. But when we see people, they start to understand every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. And it should matter to us, right? Some of us want to be oblivious at times, and I'm there. I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm somebody I'm not. We want to be oblivious to what's going on around us. And I bet you've pulled up at a stop sign or a stoplight at some point in your life and you saw one of these. And if we're honest this morning, we're in church, we should be. We would say, kids don't make eye contact. Kids don't make eye contact. Uh, radio, what do I need to fidget with right now? I don't see you, don't come by my window, don't come by my window! What if we stopped seeing a cardboard sign and we started to see people? And what if we were prepared to see them? I mean, you gotta think about the Jericho Road, right? If you're going to go down the Jericho Road, the, the, the name given to it was the Way of Blood. You better be prepared. Do you think the Samaritan was prepared? He had wine, he had oil. Maybe he knew, if I go down this road, I might encounter somebody that's going to be beat up and half dead. And so he brought with him some supplies because he knew the path he was going to take that day. And along that path would be people that he needed to see. Right now in our children's ministry, Trace Kids... All of our kids are putting together what we call blessing bags. And in these blessing bags are typical supplies for uh, homeless people. And we've done our research to know what they need the most. And so when you go pick up your kid today, you're actually going to get a blessing bag. And uh, if you don't have kids today, um, you should say, thank you, God. But then, then you should... That's horrible. That's so bad. I can't believe I just said that. I've got four amazing kids. I love them. Don't, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> if you don't have a kid, we would encourage you to grab a list. We'll give you a list, and you can put your own bag together. And our hope is that you would keep it with you in your car, right behind the seat. There's no th nothing in there that's going to melt if it's too hot or anything like that. And when you see one of these, you won't just see a sign, but you'll actually see a person. And here's the beautiful thing about preparation. When you're prepared... When you're prepared to meet people and to meet a need and to help people, you'll actually see them more clearly than you've ever seen them in your life because you're prepared. You're ready to help. 
it makes a huge difference. So our hope is that you would start to carry these with you. We don't want you to stop. We're giving you a head start. We're giving you a jump start. And so after you give this bag away, come back home with your family, by yourself, whatever that looks like, put another bag together and put it back in your car so that you're prepared to see someone else. That's our encouragement to you today. Here's what we've learned. And this is the one thing I really want to make sure that you get today. Because our mission's great, right? It's simple, it's effective, we know it's going to make a difference, but leaving a trace of God's love starts by seeing people. And if we don't see people, it's going to be next to impossible to actually leave a trace of God's love in their life. And so we believe in this so passionately that right now we're going to do something very radical very radical, maybe unlike anything that you've ever experienced in a church. If my ushers really quick could uh, grab the envelopes and the usher's going to come around and I know this is going to get a little bit distracting. Please don't lose focus of what's going on up here and what I'm saying. You're going to be handed an envelope this morning and as they come by, I just want you to take one envelope. Don't open the envelope. Don't even spend a lot of time looking at the envelope. But let me tell you what, what we're doing. For this last six months, six months we've been preparing for this service. And what I asked my team to do, I said, hey, if you'll believe in me and believe in how this is going to be an incredible tool for our church, I want you to set aside $500. All the couples on our team, set aside $500. And I know that's going to take some time, and that's why I gave them so much advance notice. And you're going to have to sacrifice, you're going to have to save up, you may have to sell some things, I mean, it's garage sale time, whatever that looks like for you. And set aside $500. They all agreed to do this. And because they were willing to do this and sacrifice this, we're going to give away thousands of dollars this morning. But it's not for you. It's who God's going to help you to see. What we've done is we've put either a $20 bill or a $100 bill in every single one of these envelopes. And you're going to get one. It's not for you. You're like, dang it. And I need you to know this. Every single one of these envelopes have been prayed over. This is us up in Breckenridge uh, a month ago. I don't know how long it is, a few weeks ago. And we're putting the cash in these envelopes. And on every single envelope, we have written to leave a trace of God's love. Leaving a trace. Or leave a trace of God's love. What did we write? I don't even remember. What did we write? Leave a trace of God's love. And we prayed over every single envelope hundreds of them. And we said, God, would you help the people who come to Trace Church open their eyes again to see people again? And so it's our hope that you would partner with us in that prayer and you would keep this envelope with you everywhere you go and that you would pray if you're single, get some friends to pray, pray with you. If you have a family, get your whole family to come around and say, God, who needs this the most? right now? Who needs a blessing in their life the most right now? Who needs a trace of God's love in their life right now? And watch God open your eyes. It's amazing. And the reason I can say that is because this was done for me once. And it opened my eyes. Because when I was prepared to bless someone, when I was prepared to leave a trace, I started seeing people again. Here's what I don't want you to do. 
I don't want you to give this to the first homeless person that you see unless God shows you and tells you that's who you're supposed to give it to. It could be a waitress at the next restaurant you go to. It could be your neighbor. It could be a coworker. It could be an absolute stranger that you encounter. That's what it was for me. Let me tell you my story. I was, I think this is two years ago, three years ago maybe. When this was done for me, I was given an envelope. And it was done a little bit differently, but I had an envelope with cash in it, and I was praying, God, who needs a blessing in their life the most right now? And I went to Panera Bread, and I'm eating my delicious salad that's in front of me. And I was talking to the guy, the church I was a part of at the time. It was our marketing guy. He was there having lunch with me. We're inside the restaurant. And all of a sudden, one of these is put in front of me. Literally, a lady walks up with a little girl beside her in the restaurant. I'm sitting in the table and does this. Now, let me back up for a second. Because I had held on to this envelope for weeks. I didn't want to give it just to the first person that I saw. It's like, hey, let me just get rid of it. Here, here's a blessing of God's love. Here's a trace of God's love. I didn't do that. I prayed. I said, God, please, who needs this the most in their life right now? God, who needs a blessing in their life? Open my eyes. Help me to see who this needs to be. Give me a sign. I'm sitting in a restaurant. And one of these gets put right in front of me. Confession time. I'd love to tell you that my first response was, here it is. Here's the sign. Like it's physically in front of my face. But it wasn't. I'd never had anything like that happen to me before in my life. Somebody come into a restaurant, stand right beside me and hold a sign. And so my first response was, what are you doing in here? I'm trying to eat my salad. Quickly, a manager came and spotted her and her little girl and ushered them outside. And I am glad to tell you that it didn't take too long. It was probably 10 or 15 seconds. My response changed. And I looked at my friend who I'm having lunch with and I said, dude, give me a second. Because God just physically put a sign in my face that I've been praying for and I still almost missed it. That's how wrapped up we are in our own lives. I want you to be, <laughs> I hope you tune into that this morning. This is not as easy as we think it is, even when we're prepared. And so this gal put this in front of me. I finally realized that God was showing me who needed a blessing in their life. She was a Hispanic gal. I ran outside, I caught her, handed her the envelope and said, listen, this is not from me, it's from God. And my hope is that it will bless you, but I can promise you that what's in this envelope won't even come close to what a saving relationship with Jesus Christ can do in your life. We exchanged some pleasantries. It wasn't a whole lot. She had broken English, and then I moved on. Whether it's a physical sign in front of our faces, I want to make sure that we all know this. Most people are asking this question even if they don't say it out loud. Do you see me? Am I just one more person in your life that you can overlook? Do I, do I hold any value? As a church, we're gonna start seeing people again. We are. And we're giving you a kickstart to do that by putting this envelope in your hand. And it is our hope that once you give this envelope away, you'll replace it with your own. And some of you might be married and one of you gets a $20 bill and one of you gets a hundred and you're like, shoot man, I wish I got the hundred. Quick math, you can add $80 to it and then you'll have a hundred too. It's awesome how that works and you can do that real quick. 
But honestly, some of you are in a position where you can add to that, and if you want to do that, we would encourage it. Maybe you want to add more money to that. Maybe you want to add your own letter and note of encouragement. We would encourage you to do that too. Add more value to it. That's between you and God, and we think that would be incredible. But what we're going to leave with, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed in just a second. I'm going to dismiss this. Jesus saw people. We're following Jesus. And if we want to leave traces of God's love in this city, we got to see people again. So Jesus' message to us this morning, I did it. Go and do likewise. I'm going to pray for us. I got a couple announcements afterwards. But if you'll do me a favor, can you just hold up your envelope real quick? Can you do that for me? Just hold it up as I pray. All right, pray with me. God, I am so thankful for the people that you've brought in this room, the people that are starting to be, starting to make up Trace Church. And Father, I think we would all admit that we don't see people the way that you see people. Father, that we do wear, a, wear it as a badge of honor sometimes, our busy schedules, but Lord, that's not how we move your kingdom forward. That's not how we leave traces of your love in people's lives. And so, Father, I pray your divine blessing and protection and appointment over these envelopes, that you would lead each and every one of these envelopes to the right person. And as everyone in here comes around with their families or friends or even on their own and they pray over these, that you would begin to open their eyes, show them that they can be prepared. And when they choose the path, whatever path it is that they're gonna choose for that day, that they are looking for the people that you have possibly placed in their life on, pur on purpose and they're ready to leave a trace. God, we are physically putting traces of your love in their hand through generosity, but I pray it doesn't end there, that we don't get caught up in the monetary value of what we're doing, God, but that you would show us seeing people and leaving a trace in their life can look several different ways, but it will not happen if we don't see them first. God, would you give us your eyes? Help us to slow down. Help us to be counter-cultural when it comes to the busyness that consumes us at times. And Father, would you allow this to be a foundational moment for our, our church where we collectively opened our eyes together to see people again. God, we love you. Thank you for leaning down to listen to this. And I cannot wait to hear how you show up. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Real quick, when you leave today, I believe that we have a real enemy. And the enemy wants to sideline you. I believe that what we're about to do as a church is going to be incredibly powerful. I really do. That's why we've been planning on this for six months, saving up a lot of money. I want you to be aware of that and I want you to pray against it as a family. And for some of you, you've walked in here today and maybe you're the person that has been feeling overlooked, forgotten. I do not want you to leave this room if that's you before we can pray with you. We're very adamant and passionate about helping to carry the burdens that you have in your life. One of the best ways that we can do that is through prayer. And so over on either side of the auditorium, you'll see these little LED lights and those are pe there are people over there that want to carry those burdens with you. And so guys, as we leave here today, we have physically put a trace of God's love in your hand. Let's start leaving traces of God's love all over this city. Can I get an amen?
Amen. We love you guys. Uh, feel free to share your stories with us. You can email me. You can put it on Facebook of how God shows up in the midst of this. And we're going to start celebrating for the next several weeks and months of how God opens our eyes. We love you guys. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday.